On this week's episode, we stay out after dark with Kubo and the Two Strings. Does your grandpa have a no eyes rule? Is love worth the pain of mortality? And how many white people were there in feudal Japan? Find out now, you're listening to 24 Flames Per Second. Of 24 flames per second. We are chugging through April, everybody. Welcome to the podcast that roasts the films we love the most. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Robert Spiewak, and welcome to the show, everybody. We're, uh, uh, it's very nice outside when we're recording this now, but in April, there could be many showers. Uh, just like in that pivotal leaf boat scene in this movie, there's rain, maybe? I don't know. April showers. Um... <laughs> But, but yeah, everybody to celebrate, uh, a conti- I guess, a continued spring. And also this week, the newest film from Leica Studios dropping, Missing Link. This week we're talking about their last one, Kubo and the Two Strings. I think, right? That was the last mm-hmm. one, right? I'm looking. I, bl- I believe oh, I don't so. Even know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Uh, I think Box Trolls came out before that. So, um, but yeah, everybody, we're, uh, we're here um, talking about that, doing that. We got a full panel for you, and we're ready to go. Um, let me think. Is there anything exciting happening this week? In our uh, in our Patreon world, I think there very well could be a hot take this weekend. Uh, I uh, I don't know, but I can check while I uh, fill time. Um, <clears throat> but uh, but yeah, so if you're interested in that, I mean, there's always kind of some stuff going on on our Patreon. If you want to swing over and uh, check that out, um, yeah, yeah, there's might as well be a hot take this week. Um, so yeah, go and check it out. I don't know what we're going to be watching, uh, but <laughs> something, something's coming out at some point. So, um, yeah, head over to patreon.com slash 24 flames pod and, uh, you can get that and a bunch of other good, good content. There's a drink along from two weeks ago that you can, um, put on to whatever. I don't know. I don't know what movie we were watching when we're recording this, but it's probably a good one. Um, but uh, but yeah, everybody, thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in. Let's uh, get on with it. Across the table from me this week, the monkey to my beetle, Katie Beth. <laughs> Hello. Hi. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm great. I'm enjoying this weather. Mm-hmm. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm good. Well, good. I'm good. So, uh, uh, but Katie, did you uh, did you watch the movie this week? I have seen it. <laughs> Yes. You didn't answer it. Uh, no, I have not. I did not watch it this week, but I did watch it um, a couple months ago. That's fine. Right on. Right on. Um, but um, but yeah, great. Good. So you're at least passingly familiar with yeah. Kubo and his two strings. I have read some Wikipedia pages today. <laughs> Very good. Um, so let's uh, let's move on into the panels, um, and we'll get them all introduced. Starting with the roasters this week. Uh, filmmaker and political activist. Find him on Twitter at True Cody Olson. Cody Olson. <clears throat> hey, how's it, going? how's it going? How you doing? Doing good. Doing good. A little bit less. Well, a lot less sick than last time I was here. Very good. I think we all are. I don't know. I don't know. I, I was sick at one point. Everyone. <laughs> nice. Was sick. It was just a cesspool. Yeah. yeah Feeling yeah. good. That's Seattle for you. <laughs> just a cesspool. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's um, no, there was that documentary that came out this weekend called uh, Seattle is Dying. So. Uh, I'm sorry, we're introducing Mino, Ian. This is, this is Mino, it's not you. Making a cameo. Just wait. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's good to have you here. Thanks for yeah. being here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
And uh, next to him, I forgot to find out anything he wanted to be introduced as by. He's a filmmaker. He's a Santa's Pub fan. He's wearing the hat right now. Um, but uh, you can find him on Instagram at Brian Glinsky. It's Brian Glinsky. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Hi, how you doing? My adrenaline's pumping. Sorry, I'm in fight or flight mode right now. You're fine. It's good to have you here. Welcome <laughs> to the show for the first time. You yeah, thanks. Been here. Um, <clears throat> it's good to, good to have you here. Um, I'll have to check in with you next time about it's all good. Uh, I liked it. I liked it. I, I forgot. I left a big gap on my paper and just never circled back around. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's good to have you here. Thanks for being here. Um, and across the table from them, Godzilla expert, writer, friend of ours, and high school teacher. His name's Ian Coleman. Yep. Don't forget dog dad. You are also doggy daddy. <laughs> yes, I am. Um, it's good to have you here. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing awesome. Nope, just uh, soaking up the sun. Just took a moment before I walked in here to just like lean against the the railing and <laughs> look upon the you know sun drenched Seattle skyline. The it's other awesome. units in our building. No, no well, there's like a part of the building that like overlooks the the yeah. Fremont neighborhood. Yeah, it's pretty beautiful. Right on. Doing happy. Well, um, yeah. Speaking of uh, speaking of beautiful, let's do uh, the first thing we always do. Let's get you to do movie in a minute. Are you uh, are you feeling? How are you feeling? Uh, I'm gonna wing it because I forgot that this happened. But, oh, uh, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm ready. Uncanny. Uncanny. How many people forget about movie in a minute? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, give us the full plot synopsis of Kubo and the Two Strings, spoilers and all. I'll give you a three count and then you're off. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right. In uh, in three, two, one, go. Uh, Kubo is a young boy living on an island with his mother, who kind of fades in and out of reality. Um, he is the child of a happy child of a samurai and a moon deity. Uh, Moon Deity is the mom, Uh, dad is presumed dead. She tells him not to go out at night because her two uh, sisters will find him and drag him up to the moon to have his other eye removed and be made into like a, you know, heartless entity. So uh, he does exactly what his mom tells him not to do and stays out after dark. The sisters find him, Uh, mom uses the last of her magic to whisk him away to this icy land and brings this lucky baboon statue that he'd been carrying with him to life. Uh, she guides them on this quest. They to gather a magic suit of armor. They meet a talking beetle. They gather the uh, pieces of the suit of armor. Beetle turns out to be his long lost dad. Uh, both of the parents die in a fight with the sisters. And Kubo confronts the Moon King, his grandfather. And after a confrontation, uh, uses some ghosts to turn him mortal and you know grants him a mortal life. And you're out of time. Uh, well, maybe you made it. I think did I, I you kind of did. I, I did. Count it? Yeah. That was yeah. <laughs> Uh, very, very good, Ian. Um, I don't think I have. I was getting nervous at the forty-second mark. You were right to where they get whisked away to the ice. Oh damn! Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, let me uh, flip my paper over and let me double check that I'm pretty sure you did get everything. I think I, I, I got a very short Cliff Notes version of it. Yeah, last yeah. Note, my last note is the grandpa's back. Yeah, and he's nice now. Grandpa's <laughs> back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but but sweet. Yeah. No, you did it. Congratulations. For somebody that forgot it was gonna happen, <laughs> you sure uh, you sure showed up. Yep, I turned it around at the end. Yeah, <laughs> um, but sweet, uh, very good. So uh, we are gonna get your opening statements after a quick break, Ian. So uh, we will be right back. And we're back, everybody. Uh, Ian just successfully completed movie in a minute for Kubo and the Two Strings. And so, uh, being the defense, let's get your opening statements. Why are you here defending the movie? 
Uh, Kubo and the Two Strings is one of my favorite animated movies of all time. It's one of the very few movies to successfully make me like, you know, I don't really cry, but I, I, I do choke up during movies, and this is one of the few that gets me in that state every time. Uh, I think it's a beautiful story of, you know, love and loss and the fleetingness of life, but how beautiful it all is and how we need to treasure all that stuff anyway, even though, you know, life can kind of suck sometimes. Um, I think it's, you know, simultaneously really funny and exciting and beautiful and sad. And it's like, you know, all of those like really strong and powerful emotions that I, you know, want to feel in a movie packed into a really tight, you know, 100 minute runtime. And you know, yeah, and it's a. I think it's a feast for the eyes and a feast for the heart. Mmm, delicious. Yes. Um, and so, okay, let's turn it over to the roasters. I think um, just since we did get through movie in a minute, and because um, we're talking about the emotions that the plot elicits and everything, uh, why don't we start with the uh, the whole plot, and in particular, something we mentioned was the grandpa needs his grandson's eyes plot <clears throat> point. What do we? What do we think of that? Yeah, I have a lot of questions. And these questions might have answers, so I might just be slow on the intake, but I, I don't necessarily think they do. So the grandpa wants Kubo's eye because if he takes it, then Kubo can, like, ascend to the sky and not be, you know, on, on Earth. Um, but I guess I'm confused because the mom has both her eyes, and then and I'm pretty sure the, the sisters have both their eyes, although they're in mass, so I don't really know. So I, I guess I'm not I'm not sure about that. And the one thing that I was thinking was that maybe he uh, instigated his no eyes rule after the, <laughs> the mom and Hanzo <laughs> fell in love because he kind of references if you don't have your eyes and you can't look into another person's soul. So I'm like, okay, maybe that makes sense why the mom doesn't have her eyes. But then I still think the sisters have their eyes, right? There's no reference made to them being eyeless. So what is going on? I mean, they are wearing masks, so even if they do have eyes, they can't see anyway. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, you know, yeah, you can poke a lot of, you know, holes in this script from, like, a pure, like, you know, you know, left brain logic mm -hmm. standpoint. But I think that, you know, on an abstract level, pretty much, like, all of these things make sense. And I think that, you know, it's meant to be taken kind of metaphorically as, like, a, you know, eyes or windows to the soul kind of thing. Um... You know, and like if he loses that, then it's it's less like, you know, that there's like some magic attached to his eye being taken and more like, you know, he can't look into the soul of a mortal and like learn to empathize with him. And I think that's like the whole kind of thematic through line with like the moon deities is that they view themselves as being like above the, you know, all of those little aspects of like mortal existence, which, you know, are also like, you know, death and suffering, but also love. So... Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually I'm totally on board with that interpretation. I guess I just want I want a little bit more yes or a no from from the movie <laughs> from the movie if if the uh, the sisters are blind or not. And I feel like they could have just strengthened their mythology a little bit if they had referenced like yeah, also the sisters are blind cuz like that's how we have to be basically. Mm. Well, that kind of reminds me we were talking a little bit before we actually started recording and you mentioned that there's a lot of instances where there are just very convenient plot points that are like just conveniently helpful to Kubo and <laughs> yeah, his yeah. quest. I so do, do you guys want to talk a little bit about that? Sure, yeah, I can take that if you want, but I've been talking for a minute. Um, but you start, I'll jump in. Cool, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's a little striking to me that after they start on their journey, the only 
basically the only person they encounter is uh, is Hanzo's long lost dad, which just seems no, he is Hanzo. They oh sorry is Kubo's is dad. Kubo's long lost dad Hanzo. Hanzo. Yeah, um, I don't know. It just seems really convenient. And then I guess also I I was pretty into the dynamic of this like kind of gruff protector you know that he has and like the reason why he was supposed to carry around the monkey and then it's for me it's made a little bit unnecessarily convoluted but also too convenient when it's like oh yeah by the way this is still your mom (laughs) instead of like we had this kind of emotional catharsis at the start where like mom even though she's out of it kind of comes back and kind of sacrifices herself in a blaze of glory and then we're following him with the monkey who seems to be behaving in a pretty different way than the mom and then halfway through, it's, you know, she just, to when she's fighting the sister, she's like, I am. Or, you know, she just references the mom in the first person. You're like, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> like, sure, dude. All right, fine. Yeah. So, I don't know. I guess I just, I don't know. Yeah, I felt kind of just convenient and, like, and just shrug. Like, all right, I guess that's your choice. Yeah, I mean, so there is definitely, like, a a novel's worth of, like, plot here that can be told. There is, you know, this entire quest that they go on. There's all of these, like, you know, different exotic locations that they travel to. I think, like, for the sake of, you know, compressing it down into, like, this quest narrative down into, like, a hundred-minute family film, there's definitely, like, some, you know, like, things that have to be kind of, like, not rushed, but, like, just kind of, like, gotten out of the way just for the sake of like moving the story along at a good pace um i definitely didn't need it to drag on anymore um and yeah i think that um in regards to like the mom being the monkey like you also do have to remember that when mom was in her human form she had like hit her head on a rock right and like wasn't quite all there mental faculty wise like you know it's yeah. established she like kind of fades in and out of reality and I think it's sort of that thing where, like, you know, she uses her magic to kind of, like, restore herself to, like, her full being, but at the cost of, like, you know, a much more, like, limited lifespan. So I think they do address that in the movie. That's fair. I Yeah, I kind of buy that. That actually though brought up another, like, question mm-hmm. slash point that I had that how the hell has Kubo survived for this long if his mom, right, his mom is, like, pretty bad at some part, you know, at some points mm-hmm. in terms of her mental capacity Kubo was a newborn baby when they crashed on that, you know, island and she hit her head that bad. So I guess I'm, I'm just gobsmacked that Kubo's okay. You know what I mean? Like when you see her fading in and out, I'm like, Gee, Jesus, he's like fed and, you know, eaten and stuff <laughs> like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you if you think of it from a left from a left brain standpoint, again, there's lots of logic holes you can pick with this movie. But yeah. I think that what's most important is that like, you know, we tell this emotional story of like this kid who, you know, had to be the parent himself for a little mm-hmm. while, and then he gets parented. And I think that you know, ha- adding this element of like neglect in there would kind of muddy that water a bit. Okay, I like that a lot actually. I didn't even realize that he had to be the parent, then he gets parented. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. to jump on that, and it's like at the beginning cool. of the movie, he has that whole moment with his mother, and then you kind of see him learn to be with his mother and like well like work with his mother when she's like the monkey and have that whole other adventure and then Mm -hmm. he meets hanzo and then hanzo kind of just dies kind of out of nowhere and it's 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 thematically one-sided it's like he has this the two lives with his mother he's like the physical reality of his mother and then also the monkey version and then soon as you find out hanzo's actually the beetle he dies kubo moves on which works i think that's a good nice little twist onto it but also just thematically it's it's just it feels like it's unbalanced 
that he needed that moment alone with his father, like he had mm-hmm. alone with his mother at the beginning to kind of like get both sides and come to peace with it. But I guess that it, he does have everything ripped out from him and I guess that's the point of it. But then, I don't know, I feel like the ending was so shoehorned it kind of needed another character with him there because mm-hmm. we have Kubo standing in for the role of his father with the armor and the fighting. He's pretty, he's pretty much like, I don't know. It's like all of a sudden he's just back on his own again. Yeah, he's back versus on his own. Grandpa and, Dragon. Yeah, yeah. versus Grandpa <laughs> yeah. Dragon, and then he like he fails physically and then picks up his sword. I don't know why that could have been haven't been fulfilled by Matthew McConaughey Beetle <laughs> compared to like <laughs> why did he have to do that on himself? And mm. it just it's just felt thematically one sided at the end of it. Oh, I think it works perfectly thematically. Like the way that I see this movie is like you know it's a it's a story about a kid who like never got to be parented, like, finally getting parented. Like, Mm -hmm. he, you know, meets these two people who kind of, like, embody both halves of, like, what a child needs to, like, grow up healthy. Like, there's the disciplinarian protector who will, like, make, you know, you know, the hard decisions, even if the kid doesn't want it because she knows what's best for him. There's, like, the, on the other side of the coin, you have, like, the dad uh, who is the more, like, you know, kind of fun-loving, you know, less strict, but also, like, kind of, like, encouraging him to, like, take more risks and grow. And, like, ultimately, like, a kid needs both of that. And that's what's required to, like, grow a human into, like, a healthy, functional person. But, you know, on the other side of that coin, like, at some point, you're going to have to fend for yourself. Like, those people can't stay with you forever. And either they're going to die or you're going to mature. And, and, you know, like that is how death works. Like it's abrupt and quick and it never happens at a convenient time. Hmm. So I I think that, you know, the metaphor really tracks perfectly. Like he gets parented, he grows, but then suddenly, you know, just like real death, it happens at a really bad time. And then he's forced to like finally like take those lessons he learned and like come into his own as a, you know, more functional human being. I, I guess with that logic, what's the point of it actually being his father rather than just a father figure? But like, why is the why is the reveal necessary? If that if you're if you're going off that train, which was maybe my point with the monkey too, right? Yeah. Is that like yeah. they both function as their own characters, and so I was kind of like, but why though? You know? Yeah, if they're surrogate <laughs> characters for the like, well, at the first they are surrogate parents, but then they become literal parents. I just right. don't get what the reveal yeah. was there. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but I mean, I think that you know, Maybe either it's just either way, fun. yeah, yeah. I mean, either way, the meta, either way, like it, it, it works. Like it's, it adds like that extra layer of closure. Like he never got to meet these people, and mm. then like he finally does, and he realizes that you know, even if they were kind of absent from his life, like either like on a you know, you know, kind of like you know, mental capacity level like his mom or like in a geographical level like his dad. Like he mm-hmm. gets that closure and he realizes that like they were both with him and they love him. And it's like that's that love that like enables him to, you know, have that confrontation with the Moon King he, he does. Like it's that, you know, very real, the experience of being loved by your real parents that allows him to like, you know, be able to get into that mindset that allows him the ability to win at the end. Not just on like a physical level of like stabbing the Moon King to death, but on like that more, you know, intellectual, moral, spiritual level of like, you know, recognizing that love is worth the pain of mortality. Mm. Last sentence was very well put. Didn't didn't think of that, did you? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What would you say? Love is worth the pain of mortality? Yeah. Ooh. Damn. 
that was tweet that so in regarding like uh, grandpa dragon as we've called him uh, I want to get your thoughts on like his worldview and his motivations and what you feel about yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> so I'd kind of forgotten. I was rewatching this movie for this, and I'd kind of forgotten at the end that he really explicitly goes into his worldview and says, you know, if you're up there in the sky with me, you don't have to be down here with like this kind of dirty, imperfect world, which I think is a really interesting angle for an antagonist, and it's it's one that I think is really tracked with me in maybe other movies where an antagonist is pushing back on like the what's wrong with the world. But I guess the thing, the issue I took with it is that the world that we've seen is really, really chill and and pretty awesome. Like Kubo has a great life in the village uh, and everyone is not just decent, but like pretty exceedingly kind. uh, And he has genuine friends there. So I guess I don't get, I don't feel like the movie set up the grandpa's worldview. I feel like if we saw some more like, you know, struggles and maybe some more ups and some, you know, still ups, but also some downs, some peaks and valleys, it would attract with me more. But it feels a bit like the only shitty things we've seen 100% came from the grandpa. So I don't, I don't quite know what his thesis is. I mean, I would say the same with the ants. The ants. Because no. they're mean too. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of like there to fuck shit up right anyways you can go ahead yeah yeah Yeah, no exactly i thought you meant the movie ants for a second yeah my brain immediately also neutral evil yeah yeah Alan is an ant why not no i don't think like the ants and like the grandpa do what they do out of malice i think it's more like you know they don't view human they don't have compassion for human beings because they don't have the ability to feel love and so to them, like, human beings are just kind of like, sort of like ants. They're like these, like, you know, weird, grotesque, like, savage things that, like, die and poop and, you know, grow <laughs> old and get gross and have to deal with, like, all of these, like, really inconvenient aspects of, like, being in a physical body. Um, and just that all the experiences that come with, you know... You know, if you get attached to something, then you also have to deal with the reality that you're probably eventually going to lose it. And they don't have to deal with that because they're, like, immortal. Although, like, you know, we do kind of get that line where, like, you know, the the loss of the sister kind of, like, the loss of Kubo's mom actually, like, allows sisters to feel pain for the first time. Right. So, like, they hate that. They hate the you know, mortal ability to, like, get attached to things and, like, be sad about losing the things that you love. Mm -hmm. But, um... Sorry, I forgot like what the original sticking point was. No, I mean you're you're speaking to it. It was mostly just just that the grandpa basically says the world is a dirty, mm. in, imperfect place. Why would you want to live here? And for me, the film hasn't demonstrated that. Yeah, I mean it does demonstrate that in the fact that like here's this kid who like you know can't get a haircut and he lives by himself <laughs> with a mom who is like fading in and out of existence. So like he does have to suffer like loss and pain on a pretty daily basis. Like. Granted, right. we don't see, like, bandits with, like, you know, killing people and, like, organ, like, you know, claymation organs, like, sprawled out <laughs> on the road. Yes, but the grandpa's logic is cyclical because all of that, all those hardships that you just listed, the mom mm. fading in and out, all that stuff, is because of the struggles with the grandpa, right? So, like, mm. the grandpa is, like, the world's shitty, you shouldn't live down there. But it's like, yeah, but, but you did all those things. So, I don't know. I feel like for me, the sisters I bought a little bit more because I think they articulate it in just a slightly different way where they're like, we were 
we were powerful. Why'd you have to give that up? Mm. Yeah. So I get that. Yeah, I'll jump on that too. Like, I feel like the grandpa thing's unearned. It just kind of pops up at the end. He spews all this, like, philosophy and then turns into a dragon. And then ghosts kind of just slap him. And then he instantly turns into an old man. Yeah. And it all just feels so... I, I don't know. They barely set up the... They, they talk about the grandpa, but the next thing you know, he literally physically shows up as Ray Fiennes turns into dragons and all this stuff. It's just <laughs> so, so rushed at the end there. I kind of wish you see something more of it um, instead of just this philosophical dump at the end of the movie. So I kind of get what you're saying on that part yeah. too. I, I do feel like the sisters did it better, but also like the sisters were... I don't know if they're... They went on too long. There's a lot, oh, of, yeah. a lot of repeating fight scenes there. Oh, that just... So do you feel like you just weren't, like the way that the villains are set up, you're just not really invested in Yeah, them? I feel like, like Cody was saying, the movie takes a lot of shortcuts. And I say, you, you, you say that speaks to its strength too. Like it doesn't need to spell out everything logically. But at the same time, I like I said, I still feel like a lot of the emotional hits are unearned. Like um, the abruptness of, um, Kubo's parents dying. That's that was like that was great. That was a great scene. And then he like you know ties his bowstring or whatever ties the wrist the strings around his wrist and uh, yeah. it's like this good moment. But it's like that moment is only like it, it. It's like oh wow, those are both his parents. But we literally found out Hanzo that was his parent like f- like thirty seconds before. And then he says that bullshit line like you are my quest and then dies. It's just it it feels like it's unearned in a way. I love that ending. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, Perfect like, response. Every single time I watch it, like, that is, like, the part that chokes me up. Is like, the, you know, the fact that, like, here's this guy who ruins his life, but he's still, like, instead of, like, you know, stabbing him and, like, you know, ripping out his organs, like, definitely, you know, deserve to happen. Like, he chooses to, like, kind of forgive him in a way and, like, give him a mortal life. And not just give him a mortal life, but, like, you know, fill him with, like, uh these like stories of being a good person, which like in turn like allows him to actually be that good person. Like he takes like such a like inspiring high road in this, you know, scenario where it really would have been so easy for him to like take vengeance on this guy. And he chooses to like treat this guy who never treated him with compassion with like compassion and enable him to be, you know, the good person he never got a chance to be because he was never mortal. And then he gets a family member, and they get to live together, and he gets to teach him all about being immortal, and it's so, like, oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> That's actually a part I really wanted to talk about, because it, it is an interesting ending where he's, he's, the grandpa's back, but he doesn't have his memories. But I was a little weirded out that it's basically the grandma, the, like, the old lady in the village, right, who steps up and decides, hey, you know, I'm going to fill his head with, like, you're a really kind person, all this stuff. And then I swear to God, it cuts back to Kubo. And they're like, right, Kubo? And Kubo kind of hesitates. I swear to God, Kubo's like, are you guys for real right now? <laughs> and I swear that Kubo's play wasn't going to be, I'm going to kill him. But I, th- I genuinely think Kubo would be, uh, it would be okay if Kubo was like, hey, yeah, I'm not going to kill you, but like, I don't want to hang out with you, right? Like, I don't want to <laughs> live with you, nor do I want to tell you you're a great person. I'm just going to maybe leave you to your thing. But they all, you know, kind of like, you're the best person in the city. And he's like... Yep, cool. And then he kind of puts his hand on Grandpa, and I felt really bad for Kubo. I'm like, God damn, could he could he be the one to have the agency to like decide that shit? I don't know. I mean, he still had the opportunity to say, "No, guys, fuck off. This guy's a dick. He killed my parents." <laughs> yeah. Old lady, you can go like have this new husband to back on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He totally could have done that, but he didn't. Like he yeah. he chooses to you know like 
make this guy his family and, you know, show him the life that he didn't know he was missing. Yeah. Like, it's just so inspiring to, like, you know, have a protagonist who, like, in spite of all that loss, still, like, chooses to take the high road. Well, I have another thought. Mm. Um, well, first, quick question. Was this an American production company? Yeah, like, yeah. they're in Oregon. Okay. Portland. Yeah, so this close. is this is an American-made movie set in feudal Japan. So, how do we feel about how <laughs> they handled um, the culture and the storytelling of I this? I think the biggest thing that holds Kubo down is the fact that every single major character in a movie that so heavily is inspired and borrows and directly steals from Japanese culture mm -hmm. and artistic styles is every major character is voiced by a white person. There are a few Japanese characters, mm. actors, but they're all super minor roles. It's like literally George Takei saying, oh my, for a scene <laughs> before getting taken over by a storm cloud. I did catch that this time. I was like, hey, George Takei. And the argument for that is that they cast these white actors because apparently they're a bigger box office draw, but sorry to bring out the outside of it. These movies are commercial bombs. So what is the point of casting Matthew McConaughey <laughs> well, right. if it doesn't have any box office draw for these movies? And frankly, even if they weren't box office bombs, even if they were really successful, mm -hmm. that's always the rationale, right? Yeah. Like, the rationale is always exactly. like, well, well, Scarlett Johansson's a bigger star. We're like, well, okay, dude, just just give someone else an opportunity. Yeah, as if that's the reason people are seeing these movies. So yeah, when right. they had an opportunity to very actually cast actors that reflect the culture that they're representing, they took a huge right turn and they cast like, what, the kid from Game of Thrones? Ray, Ray Fiennes? Like, no kid is like, man, I love the soothing sound of Ray Fiennes' voice. I'm going to go that movie. It just, it's, it, it's cheap and it's insincere and it's just, it, it's, I, I, I really want to know the rationale for it. Hmm. Yeah, now I do too. I hadn't even really thought of that that yeah. much, but that's totally fair. Well, you better have a good answer. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. Like, I, I, I think I think the rationale is like what you said. Like, it is definitely like, uh, you know, like his films historically weren't box office draws. Like, they're you know all original IPs. You know, you know, yeah. You got to have like something marketable, which is often you know like movie stars that people recognize who are probably white. And yeah, I think that, you know, if this movie were made now in this world where we have like crazy rich Asians and like Black Panther and like these these casts that are like not whitewashed at all, I think that the casting of this movie might be a little bit different. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think that it is kind of like a, a symptom of like Hollywood backwards thinking. But, you know, I do think that in terms of like the movie's portrayal of like Asian culture, like it's, th this isn't like supposed to be feudal Japan. It is like a... You know, kind of like light fantasy world, like inspired by feudal Japan. And I think that in regards to like portraying it, like it is like very, I think, respectful of the, you know, movie making style of like Japanese filmmakers and like the art style. Like it's like really awesome to be able to like look at a couple shots from this movie and to go like, holy shit, that's quite on. I know what you're referencing there. <laughs> like, um, yeah. And it's like, you know, you can see like the influences and they're like lifted from, you know, like Japanese art and filmmaking, but in a very like, you know, loving, homage respectful way. And I think mm. that, yeah, like the casting bit is like kind of an unfortunate, you know, economic backward thinking. But I think that, you know, overall the movie is respectful and like loving toward its influences rather than like, we're gonna make feudal Japan to make money because those kids like anime shit. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, to jump on that point, I guess I jumped the box office too early. The rationale is the fact that um, casting Matthew McConaughey and Charlize <laughs> Theron as these Japanese characters, like literally Matthew McConaughey at the end of the movie turns into an exact representation of the lead actor in all of Kurosawa's samurai movies, like mm. one for one. It's like the reason why they cast Matthew McConaughey in that role is because they wanted a box office draw. So if the movie is not a box office hit, it's actually a commercial failure, then that means that their whole ideology behind that casting is a failure. And that is seeps throughout the whole movie itself because it's like when they had an opportunity to, it's not like these, in two in three years the whole political climate changed and now we're like you know what asians and movies are okay <laughs> that's that that's a conversation that's always been a thing it's now just being more attention to yeah. it and like kubo had the opportunity to like in a in a movie where voice cast does not matter they had an opportunity to cast outside of the general sphere of hollywood and yeah. that's my main thing is like they failed in that they could have been more of a trendsetter in mainstream hollywood but then they just like they for some reason, I don't know, uh, Portland Travis Knight's like, you know what? Matthew McConaughey really is just, you know, let's cast a Southern actor to yeah. play a beetle in feudal Japan. Yeah. And to tie back to the feudal Japan point, it's like, I do think, like, I don't think they did anything that was, like, speaking for another culture, but still the way it was represented. Uh, it's, and the, the art that they specifically lifted from, it's, well, I think they were respectful. It's, I don't know. I don't feel like it. The, the whole production team are pretty much white dudes, and I don't think it's their place to say that it's okay to tell these stories and mm -hmm. borrow from these visual images and use these, like, iconographies from Japanese films to say, like, look how awesome this is. It's, it, I, I, don't, I, I don't think it's their... They have the authority to make these claims that it's okay to tell these stories. Mm -hmm. Tying back to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are definitely like a lot of things to consider with that argument. And I don't know that I have the answer as to like who has the authority to make what. I mean, you know, like we do kind of like live in a globalized society where like, you know, Asian cinema has been lifting crap from like, you know, American movies for like years and years and years. Like I can, you know, point to like some Godzilla movies from the 90s where they'll lift like literal like shots and lines from like The Terminator or Indiana Jones, like in one of the, you know, the 90s Godzilla versus Mothra, like the main character is like literally like, you know, walking around runes, carrying a whip, wearing an Indiana Jones hat for no fucking reason at all. And it's just made to be, like, derivative. And, like, we do yeah. live in a globalized society where, like, you know, cultures do lift things from each other. But I think that as far as, like, you know, this doing that, I think, you know, the, like, respect paid to, like, the filmmaking style, I think it veers more toward, like, you know, loving reverence than, like, you know, shameless ripping. Mm -hmm. It's very good. It's very, I think that's a very good way to, to put it. And it's a great place to end as we have reached the time to unmask nice. everybody. Um, and so, yeah, uh, Ian, we'll start with you. How do you really feel? Uh, fuck it, it sucks. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, I love this movie. Uh, no, I think that what I said uh, in my opening statement still rings true. Like, I adore this movie. Um, it's one of my favorite animated films ever. Like, I just think, like, it's, you know, on an, a visual artistic level, it's so, like, amazing to see this, you know, beautiful claymation artistry. Like, every time I see that end credits clip of the, you know, the team putting together, like, that skull monster, it's just like, ah, oh, man, there's such, like, power in, like, having this very, like, tactile visual world 
and it's so awesome. And I think that it's still like a really emotionally powerful story that, yeah, maybe does have a lot of like convenient narrative shortcuts. And like if this were like a TV series or like a book or something, I think a lot of those rushed plot elements would definitely have um, a little bit more room to breathe. I think you do have a point with like, you know, maybe the the monkey and the, the beetle didn't literally need to be the parents, but I think that, you know, that element does add, you know, like, like that element being included there still is pretty heartwarming. And I think it's a slight little nick, you know, that I can forgive. Like every, every, there are nitpicks you can make, but I still think that at the core, like what this movie is, is a beautifully told story. And I really love it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Brian? Uh, I think the movie's perfectly fine. It's beautiful <laughs> animation. There's nothing wrong with it. It was a good story. I remember like this thinking like if I was six years old, this would rock my shit. Like this would be my favorite <laughs> movie. But like it, I honestly thought it was fine. And like the, the ending did have me tear up when he like forgives him. Like that's a bold choice that they made. And I really appreciate that. And also like just some, I, I, I thought they handled some things really well. And I, I truly, truthfully just actually really enjoyed the movie. Mm-hmm. However, just like, fuck man I just can't get over the fact that it's an entirely white cast except for like <laughs> some token actual Japanese actors that yeah, like yeah. just say their one catchphrase and then die <laughs> yeah. and I, I that just like to me it's like man it's this great movie with this one bad thing that permeates throughout the whole movie that just makes me stops me from loving it or even recommending it to people mm-hmm. it's like I yeah. think the movie should be I think people can enjoy it I think that's fine but I think that should be something that's brought to the forefront of every conversation about Kubo. Sure. Cody? Um, Yeah, I like the movie a lot, actually. Um, I think, yeah, I I think you put it well, Ian, when you said that it has some, it takes some narrative shortcuts to get to some really solid emotional uh, beats. Um, So yeah, I mean, I I love it. I I like how it looks. I, I also really appreciated how much action is in the film. There was just some really awesome like badass action scenes in here mm-hmm. um yeah i i like this film a whole hell of a lot yeah yeah katie um i really like this movie uh <laughs> i just think it's really sweet um i cried like a big old baby when i saw it for the first time um i think the animation i mean we didn't really even talk about it because it's unroastable like it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, yeah. it's absolutely yeah. Yeah. a visual delight um yeah. but i i brian i really find it interesting like the points you brought up about like the whitewashing because that's admittedly something that I hadn't considered and now that that does leave a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth because I feel like it cheapens a really really great heartwarming story and it could have just like added a little bit more of like heart um, and authenticity to it Um, but that being said I do still think it's a really nice movie and I think that even though it's only a few years old, I think we've learned, we're constantly learning kind of like as a culture. Okay. Yeah. Of, yeah. And so yeah. I think that, I think that if that movie were made today, like they would have not done that. I yeah. hope, I hope. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, I think just to jump off that point and then um, into my deal is like, <clears throat> I mean, we saw, uh, Brian, we were talking about this is like, mm-hmm. um, we saw, like Isle of Dogs came out last year yeah. and it's yeah. almost the same thing except it's all dogs. So it's like, uh, yeah. how do we uh, do da- Japanese dogs? Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> Sound like I Japanese people? Like I don't are know, all dogs like, so just weird. white men? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> all dogs so are Edward like, Norton. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So it's like weird. Like that makes it that kind of thing really muddies. Like what can we do? You know, like what do we what do we think is okay and what mm-hmm. should we allow? But um, 
I mean, it's just been like, you know, a couple of years of now it's really everything is so scrutinized and that's fine. Like, I mean, I'm all for like less white men, the better. Um, but uh, just in general. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I see your Twitter. Feed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, no, I, that being said. I do really like this movie. Um, <laughs> I uh, I'm a huge fan of like a studios. Like I love how close we are to them too. Like they're in yeah. Portland. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, and I, every year I they have a movie that gets nominated for every feature they put out gets nominated for best uh, animated film, and they seldomly win. I don't think yeah. have they even won yet. They haven't. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a. Makes yeah. me so angry every year because like, and every new movie they make, they like invent new like machines to animate these movies. Like yeah. um, something I remember seeing for this one is the eye monsters underwater. Oh, they yeah. had this like, I about that. they it's had so this cool. machine that was like a big bowling ball on a pedestal that that you move the bowling ball and it animates the eye of the oh of the monster. And it's like there's stuff like that. Like they had to invent the thing. Like the water was. Not CG. It was stop motion water. Yeah. Like, yeah. Wow. How do you even do stop motion? Yeah. Water? No. It's what? it's crazy. And yeah. like they deserve to win every year, and they never do. But like you have to freaking like compete with Pixar, and the Academy has like yeah. a perma hurt on for Pixar. Uh-huh. <laughs> they lost and didn't win this year. Pixar. Oh. Oh yeah. No, you're right. You're um, right. But uh, but yeah. No. I mean, I really dig it. Other than like obviously like it's a bummer that the whole the whole whole cast is. Like white people, yeah. like I think, except for George Takei. George Takei, and yeah. maybe I don't know who's the voice of the of Kubo's mom. Oh, Charlie oh it's Charlie Stern. Stern. Charlie Stern. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's one villager that's like, hey, why why'd you cut the story short? He's oh. Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's like a it's a big stinky bummer because that is kind of just the black spot on the on the movie. But um, I don't know. Regardless, like big fan of Laika, and I'm forever team Laika except for this one <laughs> because of that. But I, I still do like Kubo, but mm-hmm. um, because we don't get like original movies like that all the time, yeah. and yeah. it's like they keep swinging for the fences with it. Yeah, and like the um, fact that like even in spite of failing at the box office, they're not like fuck it, we're gonna make Coraline too. Well, they're yeah. backed by Phil Knight, so they're not. Like, yeah, for money. <laughs> oh, gotcha. <laughs> they got the Nike money. Um, they always have a cool presence at San Diego Comic Con. Yeah. Uh, so they had, I think, a year or two ago, they had these big life size. Um, recreations of <clears throat> the monkey and Kubo. Oh, wow. Even bigger Whoa. than life size, I think, because Kubo was the size of me, but he's a he's a kid. Oh, um, yeah. But it for some reason visually looked correct. I don't know why. <laughs> you know? But they just, it's, you know, they're obviously like not full made out of clay. They're like a costume that people are wearing oh, that wow. like representatives oh, from Leica wow. Studios are wearing. Yeah. But they looked so good. There's a picture of me and I'm in between the monkey and Kubo <laughs> and I'm just losing my goddamn <laughs> They just, they look like ev- exactly how you think they would look if you just saw what that looks like Holy in crap. front of you. It's yeah. Whoa. Oh, so, and they have wow. a booth too that you can, you can go into and see like the different faces that they use to animate. Oh, yeah. It's it, it's they have well, drawers, drawers of yeah the faces they just pop yeah on and off. no yeah. it's oh man it's really something to see their stuff yeah no I'm a big 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 old fan um, but uh, but yeah everybody they'll do it for our Kuba and the Two Strings episode thank you all for being here and thank you for listening at home uh, we are going to continue talking about Kuba and Laika and maybe who the hell else knows what else. Uh, maybe Papercraft on our extended play uh, post show that we're going to record right after this that will be only available 
to our Patreon subscribers. So if you want to get in on that or the upcoming hot take I mentioned earlier that's coming this week or any of the other stuff that we've got over on our Patreon, head over to patreon.com slash 24flamespod and we will, um, and you can check it out for cheapy, cheap, cheap prices. Um, and cheap, cheap, Just a little chicken roll. Stop it. <laughs> We already did that episode. We don't need to hear about it anymore. What have I started? Um, but uh, but yeah, everybody, if you've got thoughts about Liker or Kubo, feel free to uh, send us an email at 24flamespod at gmail.com. You can also get at us at, on all of our social media uh, at 24flamespod. And wherever you listen to podcasts, be it iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or Spotify, go and leave a rating and a review and uh, subscribe because uh, that helps us make the show better. It helps other people find the show. And that kind of thing is great for us uh and and for you it makes the show better you dingus um give us money and so yeah <laughs> we we really appreciate that everybody that's uh that has done that so yeah thank you so much please please go and do that um and yeah other than that well, what else do i say at the end of the show i don't think i say that much more um next week is going to be i never looked this up beforehand um <clears throat> Next week, oh boy, Easter's a coming, y'all. So uh, oh, come no. back next week for our Passion of the Christ episode. Oh, dang. Um, and yeah, it was actually a very good episode. You should please listen. <laughs> oh, nice. I'm excited. Um, but uh, yeah, everybody, we will uh, catch you next week. And so um, until next time, thanks for listening. Bye. 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 Fish media. Yeah.